0: Well, good morning. It's lovely to be able to share from the Bible with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Helen. I'm part of the team here at St. Thomas's, and I oversee all our work uh, with families, children, and also the local community. And today we're continuing our series, thinking about what it means to be exiles and ambassadors. And our evening gatherings are predominantly looking at the ambassador part and we're working through the book of Acts, but in the mornings we've been focusing on what it means to live as exiles and we've been unpacking the story of Nehemiah. However, the passage that we're looking at today I think is actually probably more ambassadorial than it is about living as an exile. And we're going to see how Nehemiah sets up or runs his own household in a way that creates an embassy for God. How he creates a home that models the values of heaven to those who come into it. And our passage is chapter 5, it's verses 14 to 19. And the topic that we're going to be looking at is generous hospitality. But before we read those verses together and we look at that topic, I thought I would share with you my own story of generous hospitality. And you'll be pleased to know that the story has got pictures to go with it. So Ruth, picture one. This rather grainy picture was taken nearly eight years ago to the day. It's October half term, 2013. And I'm sat drinking a glass of Prosecco, yes, it's true, at a friend's house. And the friend is Ellie Doolan. And her and her husband, Ben, used to be part of the team here. And some of you will know them. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking not entirely sure how this is a story about generous hospitality. This is just you having a Prosecco with a girly friend. Uh, But fear not, I have some more photos to explain. So, the reason that I am sat on Ellie's sofa having a glass of Prosecco is because we had taken a day trip to York. And at the time, we had a lodger living with us called Hafael. Rafael was from Brazil and he'd grown up in a town called Recife on the edge of a really large rubbish dump. And so we thought that going to York for the day would be a really great experience for him. Uh, We walked the walls, we wandered around the ruins of the Abbey, we did the shambles, we managed to be in York Minster at the same time that the choir were practicing. Um, it turns out from this next picture, we chased geese at the castle. I'd forgotten that. Um, we even had a meal at Ask Italian, which is a pretty cool building in York as well. We packed a lot in. And Rafael spent most of the time walking around going, wow, wow. Because it was pretty wow. And also because he couldn't actually speak English So uh, it was a lovely, lovely day. And at the end of it, uh, we clambered into the car and it got dark. We were all very happy. It had been a lovely time. And Alan began to drive us home. And we had no plans to see Ben and Ellie, even though we knew that they lived in York. We were just going to drive back to Sheffield with our three very tired children and the lodger who spoke no English. We drove home for five minutes. And then the car broke down. And When I say broke down, I mean totally died on the A19. We managed to get the car off the main road. Here it is, excellent. And we sat for a very long time waiting for a tow truck. And when the tow truck did eventually arrive, we've got a picture of that too, we discovered that our policy did not cover us to be towed back to Sheffield. By this time, there are no garages open, we've missed the last train, and we don't have enough money in our bank account to pay for six people to stay overnight. And also, we need somewhere that would be happy to take our car and have it sat outside for a number of weeks or for the length of time that it takes for us to arrange for someone to collect it for scrap. So we phoned Ben and Ellie from the side of the road. And without hesitation, they said, absolutely, of course, you can stay with us overnight. And so that's what we did. Totally unplanned and unprepared, we arrived on the back of the tow truck and they welcomed three adults and three children into their home. They didn't have enough beds, but they let Rafael sleep on the sofa. They don't have any kids, they had no toys or no entertainment, and they had cream carpets everywhere. (laughs) But they were more than happy to welcome a five-year-old, a ten-year-old, and a twelve-year-old into their home, and they were so open-hearted and generous with their hospitality that by the time we arrived, the Prosecco was already chilling in the fridge. And when Faith walked in through the door and instantly decided to vomit all over their cream carpet, they didn't bat an eyelid, and instead, they just helped us to clear it all up. And without a doubt, that is the most generous hospitality that I have ever experienced. And that is the story of how I ended up drinking Prosecco on Ellie Doolan's sofa. And I wonder what stories of generous hospitality that you have. I'm sure you've got many. But right now, we're going to look at this Bible passage and see about Nehemiah's generous hospitality. So it's chapter 5, verse 14 to 19. And it's going to be on the screen as well. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. So in this passage, we see Nehemiah extending and modeling generous hospitality in five ways. And we're going to look at all of them now. So let's start. Number one. Firstly, in verse 17 Nehemiah is generous because of the number of people that he feeds. 150 Jews and officials eat at his table. So Nehemiah is generous when it comes to capacity. He doesn't set a limit on his generosity or on his hospitality. Number two, secondly, Nehemiah is generous with his attitude or mindset when it comes to hospitality. The second part of verse 17 says that those who came to us from the surrounding nations also joined Nehemiah at his table. So who are or what are these surrounding nations? Well they include Samaria and we know that Jews and Samaritans despised each other Do you remember Sanballat, the Ikea furniture guy from chapter four? So he's a Samaritan. Plus there are Arabs and Persians and Philistines all living in this surrounding area and all traditional enemies of the Jews. To entertain and to eat with these people was unheard of. And so the guests around Nehemiah's table... Challenge the cultural expectations and the societal norms of his time and his context. So when we look at Meyer's generous hospitality, we actually see a man who is being radically generous with his thinking when it comes to hospitality. Thirdly, in verse 18, Nehemiah is generous with his time. He's not just feeding 150 people every year or even every term. He is extending hospitality every single day. And as we carry on through verse 18, we come to the fourth thing. We see that Nehemiah is not only generous with his time, he's also generous with what he offers. Every day one ox, six sheep and some poultry are served and every 10 days he gets wine that is abundant and includes many different kinds. Nehemiah is not simply opening a cheap bottle of red from Aldi. This is more like a mixed case delivery from an upmarket wine subscription service. And if you're wondering about, like, the amount of meat that he's giving people, I've done the research. So, one ox can feed or provides enough meat to feed about 2,000 people. And one sheep feeds approximately 36. So, you can do the maths Sitting around Nehemiah's table is not like when you go to an upmarket restaurant and you you suddenly realize that you're actually paying for a predominantly empty plate with just like a beautifully sort of arranged sort of portion of food in the middle. But actually when you leave, you realize you're so hungry, you have to stop for chips on the way back. That is not the generous hospitality of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's generous hospitality extends to the portion sizes. And we get to the fifth and the final way that Nehemiah shows generosity in his hospitality. And that's through the fact that he's paying for this all himself. His generous hospitality involves personal sacrifice. And in this case, it's financial As the governor, Nehemiah is entitled to ask for 40 shekels of silver from every person in addition to food and wine. And we learn that in verse 15. And also in that verse, we learn that that's what previous governors did. However, Nehemiah was different. In verses 15 and 16 and 18, he says, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. And so Nehemiah's generous hospitality is an outward expression of his love for God and his love for those around him. And through his generous hospitality, Nehemiah is an ambassador for God's kingdom. The way that he lives and the way that he leads means that his household becomes an embassy for God. It displays those characteristics. It sets an example of living a God-centered life. His home models the heavenly values of generosity and hospitality, even though it exists within an exiled situation and in a challenging and difficult environment. And so these verses show us five ways in which Nehemiah displays generous hospitality. Now, up until this point, Putting this sermon together was pretty easy. Funny yet relevant story about generous hospitality, tick. Uh, Explanation of how Nehemiah displays generous hospitality in the passage, tick. And then I got to the tricky part. Application of generous hospitality to our own lives and circumstances, and if we were watching that game show, Family Fortunes, this is the point where you would all have heard like, eh-like eh, that sound. Because over the last few months, I haven't felt like being hospitable at all. And in fact, I haven't really wanted to see anybody, let alone do that generously. And I realised that God was on my case about this a few weeks ago. Emily, our kids' church leader, she led staff prayers with a reflection on 2 Samuel 9, where David extends hospitality to the grandson of his enemy, Saul. And the grandson is called Mephibosheth. And verse 11 says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons and Emily asked us to pray together about who is round our table and I sat with Owen and James and I just burst into tears because my sons don't sit round my table anymore and it feels so strange and so different and trying to offer any sort of hospitality when the whole atmosphere and dynamic of our meal times and our household has just changed. That feels too hard and it feels too much. And I am really struggling to get to grips with what it means to be generous in our hospitality in this new season. And then shortly after that, Alan and I had a coaching call with a church leader and we connect with him every month. And we were talking about building and growing connections and relationships in our local area, both with Christians and non-Christians, and how we could invite people into our home to join us. And on the call, Alan and I had some time to pray together about this. I just burst into tears again, because I felt I had absolutely no capacity to invite friends into our home, let alone strangers. And I couldn't even process the concept or the idea of what building community might look like. And the person who were doing this coaching call said, Helen, if you're in tears about this, then we have a problem. And next time we speak, I'm going to ask you what you've done about it. I'm not entirely sure that preparing a sermon on generous hospitality was quite what he had uh, in mind. But we're speaking to him on Wednesday, so I'll let you know next week how that goes. I don't know if any of this resonates with you. It might not be that you've got that empty nest experience, or you're feeling limited in terms of capacity or headspace. Perhaps instead it's that your characters may be more introverted. You find hosting people quite draining. Maybe COVID restrictions have meant that you've got out of the practice of having people round and now it just feels quite strange and alien to start doing that again? Do you worry that your house isn't big enough or tidy enough, or fear that your cooking isn't quite up to scratch? Maybe your children's behavior is quite frankly questionable at the best of times, let alone meal times, and inviting others to witness that isn't necessarily high on your agenda. Perhaps you live in a shared house or student halls, and hospitality would mean like a lot of negotiating and like coordinating with people, and some of them are non-Christians, and so it's just too much hard work, and you just think, it's just easier not to do it. So wherever we're at, what does this passage say to those of us who, like me, might be thinking, never mind generous hospitality. I'm not sure I can do any hospitality. And God showed me five words. They're in verse 18. In spite of all this. In spite of all this, Nehemiah was generous with his hospitality. In spite of the fact that he lived in a ruined and burnt out city, in spite of the fact that he was undertaking the physically demanding task of trying to rebuild a city wall, in spite of the fact that he was mocked and ridiculed, in spite of the fact that he faced threats of physical violence and death, in spite of the fact that he didn't actually even change his clothes, uh, in spite of the fact that the people faced famine and slavery and starvation, and he was expected to hear and handle their complaints in spite of the fact that he was sorting out a problem with taxation, in spite of the fact that he was the governor and he held this huge responsibility for 12 years. In spite of all this, Nehemiah practiced and extended generous hospitality. And just because Nehemiah was generous, we shouldn't automatically assume that he found it easy or that it came naturally to him or that he really wanted to do it. Do we think that every day Nehemiah comes home and thinks, yippee, I cannot wait to have 150 people for tea, What fun that will be to have all these Jews and officials round my table. It will be so life-giving and energizing given my current situation. There is nothing I would rather do this evening. I don't think he does. And do I think that one October night, eight years ago, Ellie Doolan thought, yippee, after a long day at work and an evening meeting that I've just come back from, I really cannot wait to have three children and three adults come and sleep in my house. There's nothing I've got to do but anything better tomorrow than wash five sets of bedding. Oh, what a joy, how life-giving this is to be on my hands and knees at 10 p.m., scrubbing vomit out of my cream carpet. What a blessing to give up my comfortable sofa to a man I don't know and who doesn't speak English. I'm not sure she did. But in spite of all this, Ellie and Ben showed us generous hospitality. In these verses, God really challenged me. And the challenge was to stop saying, because of my newly empty table and how that makes me feel, I can't host people right now. And because my brain feels at capacity, I can't have people in the house. Instead, to begin to say, in spite of the fact that the atmosphere in my home feels so different, I will invite people around. In spite of the fact that my head feels full, I will welcome someone who I don't know to come and sit round our table. And I'm a few weeks in, and it's been okay. (laughs) I haven't invited 150 people over, and for the first time in a long time, we didn't do anything for Bonfire Night, and that's okay. But we have had one couple over, and then two weeks later, that couple came round again, and they brought with them another couple who we don't really know at all. They've never been round to our house before. And it was fine. And then last Sunday, Faith asked if she could invite all the youth from Defined on Sunday morning to come round for lunch. And God was incredibly gracious and only four of them came. <laughs> and... We didn't prepare some great feast. Uh, We just got pizza from co-op. And in spite of everything, it was good. Being an ambassador for God is not always easy. And it doesn't always come naturally. And it may not be something that we would choose to do of our own accord. But it is something that we're called to. Appointed to do and practicing generous hospitality is part of what it means for our households and our homes to become embassies for God places that show others what it means to live a God-centered life however in order to do that are there things that we need to be honest with God about in terms of where our hearts and our heads are at. Where do we need the Holy Spirit to help us, to equip us, and to encourage us? So that rather than thinking, because of this, I can't, instead we're able to say, in spite of this, I will. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And today, our passage and our focus has been on generous hospitality. And there may be some people here who, who do feel challenged in that particular area. But as I was praying and preparing, I felt that God say that actually, there are several other situations or circumstances which have led people to say or to believe because of this I can't and instead this morning God wants you to begin to be able to say in spite of this I will so as the band begin to play if that resonates with you if you know that there is something where you've been saying because of this I can't because of this I can't I just ask you to come forward use this space the blue at the front you can spread out in a COVID secure way and we're just going to pray for you that the Holy Spirit would fill you as we started when we sang that in the presence of God we are changed we're just going to pray that God begins to change that into in spite of this I will in spite of this I will